One of, I think, the greatest disappointments was, and that's also an advice for other people, before you know it, you're just an employee and you got a manager and she tries to manage you and then you need, you can do this, and but you can't do that. And there's these yearly conversations or monthly when yeah, they talk about your, your functioning. That was really a disappointment. I should have said, look, I'm coming, but I want to have a direct access to one or two persons. I'm not here for like a, a career or something. So, but a lot of people are, of course, even at Apple. Starting your company, well, that's easy. Selling your company, that's a different story. In the big exit show by Peak, we lift the curtain of secrecy of selling ambitious scale-ups by talking to successful founders who have been in this roller coaster. My name is Remy Gieling. And I'm Johan van Mil. And in this episode, we talk to Jochem Wijnands. Jochem sold his company Press in 2014 to no other than Apple. He stayed on for a while to work on Apple News before starting a new venture in 2015 called Travel, which he has been working on ever since. We will learn his lessons about making an exit to a technology giant. Jochem, so good to have you with us today. All your company names are four letters and without yes. any vowels. Yes. <laughs> How come? <laughs> Uh, for for no reason, seriously. I think we first first we wanted a domain name that was short, preferably four letters, mm -hmm. and we started a a travel magazine. And like the Dutch always, they don't have a lot of imagination. Uh, so the 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 big square is called the big square, and the big church is called the big church. Uh, so we just decided to call it travel, and then we saw that TRVL is still available. Having said that, it took us over a year to actually acquire the, the domain name. Really? Yeah, because it was 150,000 euros at first, and we got it for 10,000 euros. Oh, that's wow. A good deal. In the end, yeah. TRVL.com. Wow, that's a good deal. It's, it's, it's an amazing deal. You're a negotiation master. No. <laughs> I, I wish. No. You still got the domain name after uh, all Actually, years. there's a, maybe I shouldn't say this, but there's somebody bidding on the name. <laughs> then the, with huge amounts. It's incredible. Yeah, I can imagine, right? It's yeah. a great name. Hey, Jochen, what's, what's the heroic story of press? Ha. Uh, we wanted to make the world a better place. In what respect? Well, yeah. So, so just for the listeners, uh, we started publishing a magazine for iPad when iPad came out. And the magazine business, obviously, was in decline already for decades. And uh, we thought that iPad was an amazing piece of hardware for the consumption of magazine content. So we kind of immediately understood that this could be like great for the future of magazine publishing. I still remember the day that I brought my iPad from San Francisco to Amsterdam and I downloaded a travel. And yes. I was blown away by the travel yeah. magazines at that yeah. time. It was really, so what know, was it that you saw that you, that you liked so much? I immediately saw the impact of a traditional magazine which is mm -hmm. very standard and which is not very inspiring and mm -hmm. also not not interactive with a new uh, magazine brought brought by you at that time yeah. and i recall that i was i think in the market for travel or something and so i downloaded one of the apps i don't recall which country mm -hmm. but i remember that you know I, there was a video so I, th I think it was probably thailand or so and there was a video about sailing probably because i love to sail and as a video i could click and uh, you know the sailing boat went on through the magazine it felt so inspiring to me so i fully recognize that moment Get it. it's it's uh still i think amazing uh for photography yeah. and video and all the inter interactive stuff. And obviously 
the magazine on paper feels so outdated. Fully. Yeah. I cancelled all my subscription ever since. So. Yeah. <laughs> really. <laughs> you help. Yeah, even wired. Even wired. Even oh wired. man. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Sorry. Get, sorry, Amy. I still hey. get very happy when uh, wired <laughs> is hey. physically in my. <laughs> I understand that. But hey. you're. You're. What? How old are you? 32. Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah. that's, still, that's still quite young, actually. But there's obviously a generation that has never seen a magazine. True. Yeah, that's true. But I do read a newspaper, guys. Several, mm. actually. But Same magazines, I, I canceled all. Hey, so there was a heroic story, indeed, of press. Mm-hmm. And now what's what's the real story, press? Ah, well, there's some heroism still in there. But, but I guess if you look at the magazines today, uh, I don't think that there's a future for them. Not on, not on, on iPad or not on, on mobile not on paper. So it's, so it's really a pity, I think, that 150 years uh, of magazine publishing has kind of come to an end, with some exceptions, of course. And you mentioned that to a, to a, to a guy mm-hmm. who was, was the chief editor of a very known business <laughs> yeah. magazine, yeah. Sprout in the Netherlands, right? Remy, what's your response to it? Yeah, well, you're talking to the guy who killed all the physical publications, so uh, I can, yeah, unfortunately, fully agree with it. My take on it, it's a very cool but very expensive hobby mm-hmm. to make print publications. Mm-hmm. It's so expensive and there are so few people willing to pay for it these days. Uh, the ad market, which was used to run these publications, is completely gone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, well, maybe we could talk about this later, but in my opinion, that if you have these digital magazines, mm-hmm. you just forget they're there. You're, mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't open the app every single day, you just forget it about yeah. them. And don't look at it. I think the print is dead, but the, the magazine experience is dead. On, on paper, it's very hard to make a business. Electronically, it's impossible to make a business. Yeah. So what you get is uh, aggregator apps that have bits, bits and pieces of information, no, like some Mendel. photo, but it's not the magazine experience. Mm-hmm. And the magazine experience was basically... All serendipity, right? It's mm-hmm. like you're opening up something and you don't know what's mm-hmm. at the next page. Yep. That's so excited because you don't know what you're looking for and you get this great content. The beginning. So, Jochem, the iPad came out. And then? Well, uh, we got very excited. We saw something that for the first time could maybe bring the magazine experience to the internet, uh, to mobile. So we decided that we wanted to start a travel magazine on uh, iPad. Yeah, what was the biggest problem you were trying to solve back then? Um, I, I think at that point I just saw the opportunity. And it's maybe hard for people to uh, understand, but um, 10 years ago when an iPad came out, um, it was, I think, one of the last times that Apple brought something like amazing, something new. Uh, Apple Watch, I think, was also a bit new, but not really the like a big surprise. So everybody at that time in the startup world was like, gathering thoughts and teams and ideas to do something with it. So we didn't see like a problem. I think the iPad was solving the problem and we were just seeing the opportunity. Yeah, that was with Travel Magazine, but with press, you were trying to create a whole ecosystem basically. Yeah, so what happened is the magazine did very well. We got 2 million app installs very quickly, uh, five-star rating, uh, everything went very well. Uh, Just the software that we were using was legacy software based on InDesign and PDF and what have you. And so nine out of 10 things that we wanted to do, we couldn't do it. And that's when we decided to build our own uh, uh, publishing software. And what did you do to make that? What were the steps that you take at that time? 
Well, the, the, the decision that we would uh, focus on the software, I think, was the biggest one. And then everything falls in place. You just you know, start hiring a team. We literally sat down and, and, and wrote down everything that we wanted in the software from scratch. So we had a list of 100 things or so that we wanted in there. And then we started building it. What was the first year like? Well, for the very first year for me was kind of tough uh, because I had a partner, but he was still in a job. Um, so I, I invested my own money in the in the company, and then you know, I, even though he was very excited, and we spent a lot of evenings together, I, I wasn't sure if he was going to join in the end or not. So it felt like very uncertain. But then when uh, we had some success, uh, and the first money came in, so the the first investors came in, he uh, got the courage to to start working full time. And you mentioned you know, you just hired some team of developers. It sounds like <laughs> you've done that a number of times before. I know you've done it a number of times afterwards, right? But yes. those days you were a photographer, right? That was your background. Uh, yeah, of I did you... um, study uh, business in, uh, in uh, Rasmus University. So I've, uh, I've, I do have some like formal education and I worked at Philips Electronics mm-hmm. as a product manager, but I then quit my job at, at, because it, the corporate life didn't really suit me. Mm-hmm. And I started traveling and, and writing and photographing and started working for National Geographic and Nikon. And so I did... Uh, achieve all my objectives and uh, life was wonderful just traveling eight months a year making pictures uh, making photos yeah but uh, I've always been keen to find adventure and I think with, with you know I met my wife we we started a family and uh, um, I was looking for a different type of adventure hmm. and that's when uh, I just made the jump when iPad came out you had both the travel app back then, mm-hmm. which, was, which was the magazine and the software, the press. How did you split your time between the two ventures? Um, well, the, the, we had an editor who was doing travel, the magazine, and we used it as a sandbox for uh, press. So most of our time was spent on the software. Yeah, so you're yeah. Fo- mostly focusing on, on, pre- on press yeah. then. That's where the money went. And, and at some point we had a team of 18 people and uh, only two people were working on the magazine. What kind of people did you first hire? A designer and just developers, front end, back end. Uh, actually, our first hire was the CTO. What was it like for you? Because you had some experience working in these big corporates, mm-hmm. you traveled around quite a bit, but what was it like managing people all of a sudden? I don't feel I ever managed anybody. Can you explain that? I don't feel like I'm a manager, so I didn't feel like I, I needed to manage them. We were just in it together. And then obviously you need to make plans and, and execute on them. But I also felt like everybody was so motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I was waiting for them to come in and then telling them that they were late or, um, you know, they needed to work harder or I don't know. That that just wasn't uh, the case. So they all, yeah. Were there any bad hires? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, we did hire uh, a few people in our first year. And then within a month, uh, we let them go. That happened. Both of them girls, by the way. So, but <laughs> so, but I'm just thinking about it yeah. because I've never had this question before. <laughs> and to be honest, my team, when we were in America and they were talking Dutch among themselves, mm-hmm. and I'm like, guys, if anybody here understands what you're saying, you're going to be fired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this thing. I don't know if it's Dutch or it's, if it's just our team, but they were kind of joking. You mean? Yeah, jokes. Yeah, yeah and, jokes. And, <laughs> 
I think that's typically Dutch. Quite sexist. Yeah, yeah, also, yeah. yeah. Hey, and, and, and hiring is really hard, right? Especially if you if you haven't hired uh, a lot of people before. Of course, you had some, right, with Philips and also from your education, mm-hmm. et cetera. But what did you look for at that time when you were hiring people, especially in, yeah. in, in, in press and travel at that time? Well, I think the hiring uh, at first was quite, um, I wouldn't call it easy, but because we knew people that worked at companies who knew people, mm-hmm. um, we just went kind of through our network um, and, and we were working on something very exciting. So it, it was easier. And then we got a few people straight out of school. Okay. Um, so I, I felt like we were growing at a, at a, at a regular path, mm-hmm. at a regular rate. Not very fast, but fast enough. Yeah, but still, you mentioned right. You're not a real manager. Mm-hmm. You're uh, giving a lot of freedom to people. You don't check if they're on time, etc. And hiring young people sometimes mm-hmm. needs also some guidance, etc. How did you manage that in your running your company? Well, I said before, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I simply, I didn't manage it. I think also because there wasn't a need to manage it. I think when the, when the need arises, then maybe uh, you know you have to you have to step up. Yeah. But we were just excited about what we were doing. In the beginning, we won a few prizes. So mm-hmm. we were magazine of the year, app of the year, uh, Dutch startup of the year. Yeah. Um, so it's I don't I, I don't believe in prizes and awards, but it feels some uh, feeling like you're uh, on top of it. Fully yeah. agree. Yeah. So just to be clear, current company is also called Travel, but it, yes. did, it does a whole different thing than the magazine back then, which was called yeah, Travel. Very, very different. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What did you do differently at press than at your current venture, Travel? Well, I think it, it with press it all went more naturally. Because you had momentum, it, maybe? Yes. I mean, I think I made a few mistakes with my company uh, that, that I could have ha- avoided. But, you know, when you come back and you've had uh, this amazing ride, I felt very bullish. Mm-hmm. And But I also felt like I've been doing this once. Now I've learned a lot of things and I want to apply these lessons mm-hmm. to my next venture. Of course. Um, I think I went too fast. Mm-hmm. So if I look at my company now, uh, looking back on on uh, how things went, I think I should have slowed down a little bit in the beginning. I started hiring people way too quickly and I do believe I can hire very well. But it's, if the timing is wrong, you you know, you just at some point see people sitting there and they don't know what to do. So what I, the mistake I made, just to be clear, is that I think I made two mistakes. First, I didn't start hiring developers, but I had a company who was doing that for me. So it's like outplacement. Mm-hmm. And I started hiring a, a more commercial people like and customer service. But at some point, it, it you know the, the, the product itself needed more time. So those people... You know, we're we're sitting there, but they didn't have a lot to do. No, they couldn't sell anything or couldn't help any clients. No, no, not really. No. No. (laughs) You see that a lot, right? When 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 second time entrepreneurs and Mm. third time entrepreneurs start a new company, right? Mm -hmm. Entrepreneur mentioned one. It's like having a a marriage, right? If your first wife or husband has a certain attitude, a certain way, then the second one is completely the opposite, and probably Mm. you're gonna divorce even faster because you found the wrong path, and then your third partner is the right one. I feel a little bit that you say the same. You know, right? I feel like you're telling us a very personal story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to share things, of course. <laughs> no, but I think there's some truth in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. The growth phase. When did you first notice you started to gain some traction with the press? Well, um, actually, it happened with uh, TRVL. So, as I said, uh, we had a lot of download app installs, very positive feedback, and then 
Apple invited us to their WWDC, to their presentation in June. Their Worldwide Developer Conference. Yes. And because they were going to feature us in their uh, on stage yeah. as one of their hero apps. So you're flown out to Cupertino. Well, we I think we paid our own tickets, but yes. Really? We did, yeah. The, but, cheap, but the cheapskates. Entry, <laughs> yes. Well, they made up for it later. Um, <laughs> but um, the entrance uh, tickets obviously were... Uh, we're free. Yes. What was it like to be there at that time? Because I think that's massive, right? It was still with Jobs, was it? No, no he unfortunately was not. No, he, he, he died gone. a year before. Um, well, it's very, it's very impressive. And and um, what happened is my co-founder, he, he stepped on the stage after the show mm-hmm. and talked to Eddie, Eddie Q. Mm-hmm. And he said, we built software that you forgot to make. <laughs> just after the announcement. Uh, just after the announcement. Yeah. And obviously, because we were in the in their show, mm-hmm. we would not nobodies at that time. So they said, like, well, the, why don't you come and give us a demo uh, in August? Mm-hmm. So June, August. Mm-hmm. So we were like, yes, of course, but we knew it was going to be very, very hard. So we actually lost half a year uh, on our roadmap mm-hmm. because we stopped everything. We started building a demo. We weren't ready for that. Uh, yeah, and the demo was just good enough to show. But you didn't no. have a demo, but you at that time you did have publishers, right? Using your platform. No, 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 no. That only happened at the very, very end. Ah, okay. Yes, because okay. we first built software for our own magazine and then we turned it into a platform yes, okay. that other people could also use. Okay. And they saw our magazine on the software. Yeah. And we said, this is what you guys need. And then they said, well, why, why don't you come to Cupertino? Indeed. And then we went to Cupertino. You showed the demo. And we showed it, and but it was so funny because we were there in the room. We were supposed to meet two people, but there were twelve, <laughs> which is so very you American. Thought it's the wrong room, but it's well, no. It's, and then there was this huge screen, a Panasonic screen, uh, filling the whole room, and we were like showing the demo on the screen. But it took them forty minutes to get it to work. <laughs> it's Apple, right? And oh, I'm yeah. like, great. And still, there were some names in the room. The top, say, hundred Apple employees. Uh, I don't know how you call it, but there's this lot of hundred. And I was like making calculations how much money was being wasted here on, on, <laughs> on the 40 year. minutes. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. But it went well. And then they said, well, uh, let's talk some more when you are uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah, well, a little bit further. But it just took us a very, very long time to build it. So you mentioned, right, then the show was, after that your colleague approached this guy, they mm-hmm. used to spend six months building the demo, then you flew to Cupertino with that room with the Panasonic television, and then they said, <laughs> wait, you have to come back again. Of course, right? yeah. yes. Um, but there was one thing that I forgot to say is, uh, when he was on stage, yeah. Eddie Q was giving his email address, mm-hmm. which is q at apple.com, mm-hmm. wow. um, but he didn't really hear it uh, right. So he said, what, what was it again? And uh, so Eddie Q said, it's Q. And then he said, oh, fuck, Q. Fuck Q, but that sounds like fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and you were standing there also together with him? No, or, no, I wasn't there no, yeah. uh, on the stage. Oh, you okay. No, no, but he told me later that he, <laughs> he got really red and, and, in okay. the face. Yeah. And this was, this was all the old Apple, Apple campus, right? Where at, 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 at one infinite road. This, yes. This, the, the, the new one wasn't built yet, I infinite guess. Infinite loop. One infinite loop. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, it was being built when, when we were there. Actually, I could see it from where I was working. What, um, what was your biggest challenge in, in creating this demo for the Apple guys? Just to get it done. Just to get it done in time. Because your ambitions were big then. What kind of features did you really want to build? It's simple. It's, you have iOS and you want a native 
software that yeah. communicates directly to iOS without any in-betweens. Yeah, uh, and back then there wasn't many like documentation. No, there wasn't, no, was, there wasn't anything. No. no, well, there was obviously the Xcode, everything that yeah. you needed to to kind of uh, develop. So we had um, our own fund, our own metrics, graphics. We had our own f- format, and uh, we did put in there also ways to make money. So we, it's like the whole. It, it was just very very complete. Compression. We had our own compression method to compress uh, mm-hmm. uh, photos and videos, and so it's, it's just everything could 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 be could be better. And we took it and we tried to make it better. Well, six, six months is isn't a long time then. So what happened is because we wanted to show them the demo, it was, it was a unique opportunity. We forgot about the roadmap and started doing this, and then we needed to go back and kind of fix things. And then, yeah, it took us a long time. It took us actually at some point we were at Apple. And somebody said to us, why did it take you guys so long? We almost gave up on you. Mm-hmm. So I think already then mm-hmm. they had a, an idea of, wait a minute, these guys, maybe at some point we uh, we need them. How were you funded in this phase? Well, I first bootstrapped it first year. And then uh, actually a friend of mine, so it's a very typical uh, story, uh, did seed funded mm-hmm. with 100,000 or 110 or so. Mm-hmm. And then we um, reached out to some angel investors and they started funding it. And I did spend a lot of time trying to uh, raise money from the Johans of this world. You <laughs> didn't need at that time. No, that's we what you have. keep saying. <laughs> um, no, and, and it was very hard. We c- I couldn't convince anybody. And I'm sure I made many, many mistakes. When you move to America, you need to fill out papers. And one of the questions is, how many times did you visit uh, the US in the last so many years? Mm-hmm. I, I got to 25. Oh. So I've been in the US 25 times before moving there. Yeah, it's unbelievable. What is the tip that you can give to founders raising funding, right? Because you mentioned you spend a lot of time on it. It was really hard to raise funding. Yeah. What are the suggestions that you can give them? Ooh. It's, um, ask a lot of questions, I, I think. I think what I've done is is just sit there and start telling my story and then, and then talk for like 30 minutes mm-hmm. and not even kind of acknowledging the person in the room. Yeah. I think that's been my mistake mostly. Yeah. So I would say instead of shooting your your you know your slides and, and getting all nervous about whether you can tell everything that you have to say, just go sit there and maybe ask, you know, what is important for you guys? I do I do see that a lot, right? Especially founders just having the pitch without asking at the beginning of the meeting, you know, who who are you, who's your fund? What is your strategy? How far are you in the fund? What are you looking for? And especially also at the end of the meeting, right? Mm -hmm. How do you see this plan matching your, what's your timeline? What's your decision process? What, how do you see, et cetera, right? I I see a lot of pitches telling without asking. So Exactly. And I've been only lately, I am like kind of understanding how wrong that is. Mm -hmm. And I think also just mentioned everything that's not so great. Mm -hmm. It's almost like saying, look guys, there's a few things that are maybe not ready. Uh, do you see? Do you think that's a problem? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. ask it. And, and if it's a problem, maybe how can we deal with it? Or yeah. can we work fully, around it? Or? Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah. Uh, especially we we spend this peak a lot of time with talking with founders and openness and transparency in things which are not right. I think is key for yeah. a healthy relationship. Well, I've done. Yeah. I've I've been making all those mistakes. <laughs> but next venture you won't, right? The third uh, uh, and also yeah, the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll make new mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The exit phase. Jochem, you sold the company mm. within two years. Mm-hmm. That's rather quick. Why did you do that? Oh, why we did it? 
Um, well, I felt like we were dancing with elephants, right? So it's like it was very likely that this kind of situation was going to be dealt with by either Google, Google or uh, or Apple, or and we we did look at trying to be independent and have an like, independent future. We had tens of thousands of publishers on the wait list to join the platform. We launched with the next web in New York. We had a few big American publishers, German publishers that we launched with. So it was all looking very good. Yet, if Apple comes along, and you already like little Apple, so we were, everybody was like Apple fanboy. So, and if Apple then comes along and you get an opportunity to put your ideas on a billion devices around the world, it's it's like a it's like something that we could never do on our own mm-hmm. to have this much impact on the publishing world. Now, how did they approach you that they were maybe interested in acquiring you? Well, I think it happened first at WWDC where we got a foot between the door. Then we had actually quite a number of uh, this type of meetings. Sometimes we would call them saying like we're around. Shall we come by and talk? Often we we didn't even have plans to come to the states. Of course, I would just <laughs> yeah, I would just say like we're in the neighborhood, and they go, oh well, don't you uh... book a flight and go there? And then we book a flight <laughs> and go there. Um, so that definitely happened on at least two occasions. But they wanted to wait for the launch. I, I, we could feel that you know they wanted to see the software tested in the market before building their application on top of it. Mm-hmm. So we launched in uh, October 2013. And then very quickly after that, some investors wanted to start investing. Or, mm-hmm. And um, then it and was Apple really easy to, to probably to raise money at that time, uh, right? But yep. Yeah. Yes, I think so. Uh, we, didn't, we weren't interested anymore at that moment. Mm-hmm. But other companies also came in and started bidding. Who made the first step? Because in those processes, right, especially if you mm-hmm. work together with them on a more, I wouldn't say strategic level, but also mm-hmm. sharing insights, etc. It's always very relevant who makes the first step to buy or to offer his or her company. Oh, right? they told us, um, what would you say if we would uh, buy you guys? Okay, and how far, oh, sorry, how fast did they ask that to you? That's when the acquisition process started. So six months uh, later, we uh, we were acquired. And when did they ask that to you? If that they... was uh, in November. Okay, so and just we, after you were live, yeah, right? And yeah. we signed in April. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. But we had other companies that, that were saying the same thing to us. Mm-hmm. The different buyers also yes. being interested at that time also. Yes. Did you tell them? Do you, do you tell Apple? No, well, I didn't tell them. No. no, because there are two no, schools, we, right? Either you tell, you know, I have numbers of interest. Are you also interested, right? The, the thing is, we were just looking at our team and our investors, and but the best scenario would be Apple. Uh, there were other companies, but we weren't sure if our team would move to the U.S. to work for that type of other company. Mm-hmm. And we knew pretty sure that they wanted to work at Apple. And you were with 15 people still. Yeah. So selling to Apple Mm -hmm. and providing your team with a nice place to stay was more important for you than making the exit and making the money. Yeah. Let's put it this way. Obviously, we didn't really want to exit Mm -hmm. at that point because we just launched a platform that was really working well and we had a business, but it wasn't proven yet, but I think we could have made some money there. Mm -hmm. And then Apple came along together with other companies. And uh, I think Apple was the only company that we wanted to sell to mm-hmm. because it, it was only iOS that we you know, yeah. built. One other company, by the way, I can say this now because I don't have a DNA anymore, was Flipboard. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So Apple 
makes a call to you guys. Was it by phone or, or did it tell you in person? No, we were there. You were there. They, they ask you the question. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Do you keep a poker face? Do you high five your co-founder? <laughs> <laughs> um, we said yes. We would be interested yeah. to look at that. And, you, and then they said, well, let's talk about it again after the holidays because it was like Christmas and so on and so on. Yeah. Mm. And then I said, but well, we happen to be around some mid-December. So, so why don't we just have a meeting and we see if we can make a next step? Mm -hmm. But we didn't plan that trip. So we just uh, uh, made it up. So <laughs> we went there. But it was, I think, a very good thing. But also from our point of view, mm -hmm. we were signing on new customers every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, we didn't really want to say no to those people uh, like no. a few weeks later. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think, why that was a good idea. So you walk out of the Apple campus mm -hmm. with, well, a semi-offer from Apple <laughs> in your back mm -hmm. pocket. And then what do you do? You look at each other, you say, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, what do you do that night also? How do you... I don't remember what we did. I think there were a lot of those moments, but I don't remember exactly what we did when we... But we were pretty excited. Yeah, probably. And how did you deal at that time with the other interested buyers, right? Did you keep them away? Did mm -hmm. you keep them informed? Or did you... How, how did you loop them in that process? Because it's always very tricky. And of course, you had a preferred partner, right? Or you just ignore them? Um... I think it just went away, yeah. to be honest. Okay. Yeah. You just fully focus on Apple also in we, your mind. Yeah, it, it went away. We didn't, you know, the, there wasn't any money on it. There wasn't any bidding going mm. on or there weren't any term sheets. It's yeah. just the guys we, you know, you have interesting technology. Yeah. You want to give a demo. Mm. We're thinking about acquiring you. Are you interested? Yeah. Um, well, yeah we, we can always talk. So, so mm. that was the, the reaction. What were the fundamental assets that Apple was buying? Was it the people? Was it the staff? Was it the clients? Was it the access to this technology? Or what, yeah. what were they buying? I think a little bit of both, of all. Mm -hmm. um, and, and at that point, uh, we didn't really know. But uh, uh, when I you know, worked at Apple, uh, almost every week, somebody asked, uh, you know, hey, we're looking for a company that can, do, can handle video or that can, uh, you know, handle uh, newsletters or that that maybe, you know, we can acquire. Mm -hmm. At some point, Apple started buying companies. So we were like at the early stage. The before they didn't buy any companies. No, no, so, no, you were one of the first yeah. they bought, right? So and, we and were the only... at a very early stage. But that kind of, I think it became a new policy. And I also know why, because a new guy called Adrian Perica, mm -hmm. he came from, he's a very interesting person, very nice person, but he's very close to Tim Cook and he started kind of acquiring companies or mm -hmm. just giving the mandate to acquire companies. Mm -hmm. Long story short, Technology should work, a team that's willing to come and kind of start the team to build this new application. They did ask us for the client lists with all the email addresses and the names and the phone numbers. So I'm sure they've you know, made good use of that when they launched Apple News. So I think a little bit of all the things. Hey, and during that process, right, with Apple, it's when we were having talks with them and wanted to, to close the deal with them, did you get any help from your uh, current investors or lawyers or corporate bankers or whatever? No. No. Okay. And, and if I may ask, what's the reason for not? Because, you, I mean, you, you didn't have a lot of experience in selling the company. I don't like lawyers. <laughs> I don't like bankers. Um, when I was traveling, I've been negotiating uh, on, on, on these like third world uh, markets. When I was buying stuff and I got very good. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That's a, that's a whole different... But, but, the, but maybe it's not even a joke. There's a certain... Like there's the same logic. Yeah. At some point, you know, somebody wants to buy and some other person wants to sell. Yeah. 
and then there's a, a, a probably uh, uh, some negotiation going on. Indeed, yeah, that's will. true. But we had a, another guest on this podcast who also sold his company to a very big player, and he said, if you want to have a deal with these guys, you have like these contracts which are a few hundred pages long mm-hmm. with all these terms. You have no idea. Mm-hmm what it all means and says and, and, and if it's a good deal or not. So how did you handle that part? That was the easy part because that's where the lawyers came in. Okay. <laughs> but but that's what that's after we after we settled on a deal. So a deal is between two people or maybe a few people. But mm. um, so first uh, there's a price that they want that they're willing to pay. Of course. And we're negotiating about the price. Mm-hmm. And then I negotiated the terms for my team. Mm-hmm. So these two two steps I took, but I separated the steps because okay. I first wanted the price, yeah, and they thought they were done. But mm-hmm. then I'm like, how about the team? Yeah. Oh, what do you mean? Do you have to pay them yourself? I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not paying them. Mm-hmm. I think there should be twenty percent mm-hmm. of the total for the team. So I got mm-hmm. another twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I don't know uh, if any of my team is listening, but I hope we we've done well for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they many of them stayed on yes. at Apple, right? Yes. Even got married. It's a f- it's one of the funniest things because we we didn't realize this, but then we got the deal signed and we you know that we've been quite open to the team about everything, mm-hmm. um, like hey Apple uh, is coming and they you know want to acquire us and now we're like negotiating and now we're going to sign the deal mm-hmm. and so they want you to come as well, um, and a lot of people were very excited. There were two developers that had young children or mm-hmm. someone was just delivering, I think, and they I think they I don't know exactly, but I think it's nice to have some your neighbors and your family around when you have young children. So I think that was their reason for not coming. Yeah. But those are the only people that didn't come. Mm-hmm. But the others, they all had girlfriends. Yeah. But, you know, you cannot take a girlfriend to America if you want to live there. You need to be married. So they all got married. I think we had 11 <laughs> marriages. 11. And this felt like my biggest responsibility. I'm like, okay, but this is very serious. They were like 22, 23, 24-year-olds. So I got married when I was 33. Yesterday was my 20. First wedding anniversary. So they're all married in Vegas, or uh? no, in a, in some silly town hall in the Netherlands. Okay, <laughs> on a Monday because it was cheaper. <laughs> Back to one thing, as you mentioned, right? It's a deal between the two of you, right? Between mm-hmm. you and Apple. You yeah. of of course you had a co-founder, and yeah. you also you had some angels involved, yes. right? Also, they want of course want their money back. How how did yeah. you inform them, and how did you guide them through the deal? Especially your both your co-founder, but especially also your current investors. Well, I, I think we just every time we had a uh, some new. So we would share it. They stayed away from the negotiations. Okay, really good. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, and they gave you because it's always an issue that that you talk on behalf of them, right? Mm-hmm. But you also will have to move there, so you're not mm-hmm. fully aligned always with the shareholders. Did you have uh, some kind of no. mandate, or did you give some guidance, or you had to? Do you no. need approval on that end? How did no, they? none of that. We, I must say, our investors were amazing. Oh, that's really yeah. good. It's a big trust they put also in you, yeah. right? But yeah. it was, it's also a very nice outcome. I, I'm, I can't say that, but let's say that if you start investing in startups, mm-hmm. you know, why do you do it? What do you want out of it? It's mm-hmm. like a multiplier maybe, but it's also, you, you want to be able to tell great stories. Of course. Yeah. This, yeah. And this is massive, right? But but you know that afterwards, right? And then you know afterwards, it's good. Afterwards, yes. Yeah. But during the process and during, I mean... Uh, if you have a track record of selling a lot of companies, and that's why I think a lot of mm. uh, founders hire investment bankers to do that, right? Then you have yeah. a track record who can, where you can rely on. But in this case, uh, you, you didn't have that track record at that time. So I think no. it's great that they put a lot of faith in you at that yeah. time, right? Yeah. 
So you stayed on for about a year at Apple before yes. venturing on. What was it like? Because you had worked at corporate before. You didn't really mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Was this different? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, uh, I thought it would be different. One of, I think, the greatest disappointments was, and, and that's also an advice for other people, before you know it, you're, you're just an employee. And you got a manager and he, that she tries to manage you and then you need, you know, you get... You can do this, and but you can't do that. And uh, there's these yearly conversations or monthly when yeah, you, they talk about your, your functioning. And, and so that was really a disappointment. And I think I made the mistake. I should have said, look, I'm coming, but I want to have a direct access to one or two persons. Yeah, indeed. And not follow in the line. Not and, for, and, not and not, in the line. Not, I'm not yeah. here for like a, a career or something. Yeah. So, But a lot of people are, of course, even yeah. at Apple. Now, I've heard that, that Apple is also a very formal company. So it all looks mm. hip and happening from the outside. I think that depends a little bit on which part of Apple you work at. I don't think it was hip. But, but again, look, we were at software and services. Yeah. And that's definitely, I would say, secondary. It's a primary, it's a hardware company. So what, what Apple does with its services is it needs to be everywhere, but it doesn't need to be great. Mm -hmm. But it's like a chess game that it's playing with Amazon and Facebook and Google. It just needs to have a position on, on, on every little piece of the board mm -hmm. so that when this becomes uh, very competitive, they can hit the ground running. But if they now start to become great in one place, it will draw the competition out. So that means that they start competing on, on services somewhere, but it's not really crucial. Yeah. So that's why they don't do it. So that's why most of their services are sub subpar. Ah, so so even Apple News. To, mm, yeah, like, yeah, because they bought your company at that time yes. to transfer to Apple News, right? When, when did you know about that? Was the direction they were heading? When did you learn about that? Was it during or before the transaction, or was it after oh, well, you? During, being, I think during the transaction. What was your view on that at that time? Well, the thing that I wanted when they started talking about an app for publishers, it was very. It wasn't a surprise. Mm -hmm. we, we knew that they were going to build something like that. Mm -hmm. Our vision is that with our software, the playing field was leveled. So every single person could start creating magazine content with our software. And that never happened. So they embraced the tradi traditional publishers. Apple embraced traditional publishers instead of the indie publishers. And instead of emancipating, I would say, the publishing world. But think about it. If you want to be publisher in the old days, you needed... Uh, paper, inked, distribution, mm. uh, very expensive to get started. Yeah. Uh, with digital, it's very cheap and easy to get started. And I think they missed that, that crucial part uh, that we thought was very important. Yeah. How did your team respond when you told them you were leaving? Oh, I don't think it was a surprise. They noticed you were not that happy. No, actually what happened is at first, I didn't even know if I, if I would go to Cupertino myself. I was like a little bit biased. I didn't even know if my family wanted to join because I got two children and a wife. Mm -hmm. And then my wife said, of course we're going. Mm -hmm. So that was a big step. <laughs> and Apple said, there's no way that we're going to buy your company without you. Mm -hmm. So that was also for me a very important thing to know, uh, which is also why I was so disappointed that it's like a honeymoon. And when the honeymoon is over... I don't know. I don't want to go into comparisons like Johan does, but, but you know what I'm saying. When did you find out that they wanted you and not only the company? 
Um, somewhere just before the signing. Of the term sheet or the yeah. contracts? Of the contracts. On the contracts. So you already signed the term sheet? So I think there was just one thing. I don't remember the term sheet. So it's, it's as soon as we settled on the price, yeah. we got contracts. Okay. Because normally you would sign an LOI or term sheet, right? And then you have to... Yeah, maybe we'd, we've signed an LOI. I don't remember. Okay. So what are some of the lessons about selling a company to a tech giant like Apple? Mm-hmm. If, do you have any advice for other founders who are yeah really excited about the possibility to making an exit to, well, recently a Dutch company exited to Twitter, for example. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. I think every situation probably be very different. Um, I think they're big and you're small. So you got to make them understand why, why they need you by making personal connections with a few people that are key players. Is it also, I, please tell me if I'm wrong, but it's something I'm, I noticed in your story that... It's a bit of a disappointment that you're very hot at the moment. They want to acquire you and your your value gets diluted pretty quickly within the company. Mm-hmm. You mean personal or do you mean the company value? What do you the mean? company, but also personal maybe. I think that's true, yeah. Um, and, and you know, they bought you as a company, so it's it's okay Yeah, for, to a certain extent. And so we were there, we, there was like an empty building that they dedicated to the Apple News team. And we were the first sitting there in like really on desks and with nobody there. And then slowly people came coming in until there were like a hundred. So yeah, that's that's almost like literally you could see it dilute uh, over time. Yeah. How did it feel you? How did it make you feel at that time? Uh, you know, it's fine. I think for me personally, uh, it's hard for me to, to function in a big company like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- again, I, s- I thought it would be better, but I think yeah. I can maybe avoid that now, but that's that's how it went. Yeah. Um, it also took a little bit of time to understand that their plans were to just build an aggregator app. Yeah. Now, the good thing is that we build a file format, which is now called Apple News Format, which is, this is basically our legacy. And and so that makes, if, if publishers use that, the reading experience, the whole experience is so much better. But also Apple allows people still to publish RSS feeds into Apple News. So, and they've got a subscription model now in there, uh, even though all content on the internet is more or less free. Mm-hmm. You know, they still ask you to pay for 250 titles for them. And I, I understand that because what they want is to be king, king of content at some point where you walk into an Apple store mm-hmm. to buy your iPhone and with it, because that's the best retail model mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. So you buy an iPhone for $600 and then for $200 more, you get a, a TV subscription, you, even, a, even phone providers in there, the Apple News is in there, Apple Music is in there. Sort of Amazon Prime for yeah. Apple. So, so they're upselling and then and probably at some point you just you know, send a, your, your old iPhone to the Apple Store in every year and then you get a new one. Indeed, subscription Including based. Yeah. all these subscriptions. Yeah. So they, they needed to have a subscription in there, yeah. even though I still feel like it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, after a successful exit, people tend to reward themselves and their loved ones with a gift. What do you buy? Ah, it's funny, yeah. I went into a wine bar and I bought the most expensive wine on the menu and it was 14 euros. <laughs> and I felt like, <laughs> and I felt like uh, super rich. And it was a Barolo. Oh, very good wine. Yeah. Well, well, the funny thing is, the, the guy from the wine bar said to me, here's your Barola. And I'm like, this, 
this is what it means to be rich. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you end up with all this bullshit. <laughs> They just want you to buy a very expensive wine, but they don't know the wine themselves. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, it's like when you walk into a very fancy hotel, it can only be a disappointment because when the shower doesn't work, you get very upset. But if you walk into a shitty hotel, the shower doesn't work. That's normal. It's normal. So I still book, <laughs> I'm still, I still go for the shitty hotels. Mm, cool. To your question, I bought a Jeep Wagoneer mm-hmm. uh, from 1985 for 10,000 euros. Yeah, that was a gift that you gave yourself. Very cool. That was car. my yeah, yeah. sort of. I like this car. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. I think it's not in value, right? I think it's about giving yeah, yourself it, treating. It, it, it's, it's a shitty car. Yeah, it shitty. breaks. <laughs> it breaks down every every five days. But you st- still think about the accident, <laughs> right? <Yeah>. <laughs> Last question on this: What is, I think, the biggest suggestion that you can give to founders who mm-hmm. are, you know, these days struggling to be successful, and at one time they want to sell their company, right? What's the biggest advice that you you have for them? Um. Well, if you struggle to be successful and you want to sell, there's still a lot of work to be do to, to do. So I would say do the work first. Do the work first. Yeah. yeah. Make sure your, your product is outstanding. I think that's that's first. Yeah. And then once you are successful and, and be attractive to buyers, yeah. what would be then your, your biggest advice for, for founders? Uh call me. <laughs> call Jochem. Call me. Now <laughs> I, it's funny you mentioned it. I just over the last half year I've helped the company sell you know, to to an American company and, and I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. And it was very it was very successful. So I'm still open to that. Okay. And and other than that, I would say just get meet the people. Be 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 open, transparent. Don't start playing games or anything. No. Just make connections also, right? As you mentioned. And make connections. And as I said when they said, you know, we want to acquire you, we didn't we didn't try to show poker face. No. Why and you did it? And you did a, a full negotiations, as you mentioned yourself, right? Yep. So it was a very natural, organic process. Yeah, yeah. And and oh, another thing is on the first bid, mm-hmm. I was sitting in the Efteling Hotel mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, I had a phone call. I I sleep naked, so mm-hmm. I was sitting on the bed naked. My kids were were somewhere there, and my wife's there. And then on the other end of the phone, uh, I we heard our first bid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but I had written on a piece of paper three words. It's too low. It's too low. <laughs> so I just took the piece of paper. I listened to the bid. I thought, oh my God. And I said, it's too low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Sorry, what you got to do better. <laughs> and what happened? Well, how did, how did he, uh, the other party... Uh, uh, Apple? What do you mean too low? What do you mean? Yeah, it's just too low. <laughs> it was like, it's too low. Yeah. No, we, we were expecting way more. <laughs> I think that's, but it's a, it's a negotiation. So you you know that you're the, the very first thing that you're saying is giving everything away. Yeah. So so you gotta make sure you, that, that that this is what you're saying. Yeah. I, that's my opinion. And yeah, because no, it's a, in I the mean, end, it's out they for... won't pay more than they're willing to yeah. pay. So yeah. there will be some somewhere there will be a line in the sand. But and it's never the first. It's never the first uh, no. bit. Devaluation. And now it's the moment, Jochem that I think it's the decisive moment for you, right? That we asked Tessa Wanders, our investment manager of Peak, one of the members of my team, to see if whether the amount that Apple has paid for press at that time was the right amount. So I'm giving the floor to Tessa, who can tell and share her analysis. In the spring of 2014, Apple acquired press for an undisclosed amount. The two founders, Jochen Wijnands and Michel Elings, and the rest of the team relocated to California. In total, about 15 press people joined Apple's team to support them in building a better native publishing tool. The iPad was released in 2010 and was steadily gaining popularity. 
The genesis of Press came from understanding the power of their proprietary software that the founders used to self-publish their online magazines, often viewed on iPads. In 2012, they raised a small angel round to fuel this idea of rolling their content library over in a new entity, focused purely on the software side of things. Enter Press. Fast forward a meager one and a half years, it's summer 2014, and the media picks up on Apple's acquisition of a small Dutch startup from Bussum, of all places. Little is known about Press's traction at the time of acquisition. We know there were about 10,000 publishers signed up for the beta launch, but that's about it. So to establish a guesstimate on the Press's exit valuation, we had to do some digging. First of all, Michel Ehlings was included in the business magazine Quotes self-made list in 2018. His net worth was estimated to be about 8 million euros. Let's just assume he didn't make any outlier investments since he left Apple in 2016. Secondly, as the majority of Press's employees relocated to California, apparently nine even got married, we're thinking of this as a kind of aqua hire. So to incentivize the team members to stay, the acquisition was probably about 50% cash and 50% stock options. Since most people, except you, Jochem, stayed at Apple for two plus years, we're assuming there was an earnout period of about two years. We know there was an angel investment of a few hundred thousand euros, so let's just say that those angels bought about 10% of the company at the time. Then those 15 employees were incentivized enough to join Apple as well. So there must have been an ESOP, especially since the product didn't really have a well-established business model yet. Let's say that ESOP was about 15%. Finally, let's also assume you and Michelle were equal owners. Using all this information, we're thinking that the valuation that Apple paid for press was between 20 million euros and 30 million euros. This seems about right, as Apple also made um, a lot of ballpark acquisitions afterwards in that period between the 20 and 30 million dollars. Uh, there was Swell in the US for 30 million, there was Linex from Israel for 20 million, and MapSense for about 25 million. So Jochem, tell us, are we overestimating, underestimating, or are we just about right? Are those the three options? <laughs> well, can you name them? I, I, I love hearing this, I've never had this experience before, so it's very interesting. Uh, I'm not going to comment, and I know this is a disappointment, and I could because our NDA is no longer valid after seven years it expires. I think there are definitely a few good things in there, and there are a few things that I've never even heard of uh, in there. So, um, uh, But all in all, I think also I have to respect the, I would say, almost maybe privacy of our investors and our uh, co-founder and my team. Um, so I'm not going to be the person who's going to break the news on this podcast. <laughs> well, at least the Jeep, you could buy the Jeep for 10K. So. And, and all the costs. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Big Exit Show. We hope you enjoyed today's program. If you did, please subscribe to our show at Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any feedback, please send us a message at podcast at peak.capital. My name is Jamie Gieling. And my name is Johan van Mil. Thanks again for listening. And we hope you join us at the next episode.